The 2023 NFL season is in the books. Let's talk about lessons learned from the Super Bowl teams as we catch up on the Bengals' newest offensive staff changes. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko. He's your host, James Rapine. We are the Lockdown Bengals podcast covering your team every day here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. We're free on YouTube. Anywhere you get your podcasts, you can make sure you don't miss an episode. Become an everydayer by hitting that subscribe button. That also helps support us wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's YouTube or any audio platform. Today, we're going to dive into a couple more Bengals coaching staff changes on the offensive side of the ball and we're going to talk super bowl lessons learned as we put the 2023 season firmly in the rearview mirror and shift into draft season and free yeah, baby. season yeah baby full-on off-season season as it were today's episode of lockdown bangles brought to you by FanDuel. you'll get 150 dollars in bonus bets with any winning five dollar bet that's 150 bonus bucks if your bet wins check it out at fanduelcom slash locked on to get started and james today we will start with jordan salkin the bengals have a new offensive coach he will be an offensive assistant of some sort i think his entire title is likely to be offensive assistant and his specific duties are not at this time known, but we do know where he comes from, and that is Oregon, where Bo Nix is all of a sudden a potential first-round pick at quarterback after being kind of a joke of an NFL prospect for most of his college career. James, what do you what do you make of this hire for the Bengals as an offensive assistant? Yeah, it's interesting. First things first. Hey, what do you think of Jackson Powers Johnson? Do you think he's going to be an elite interior lineman in this league? Bo Nix, Bo Schmix. Um, you know, because the Bengals aren't in on that. Oh, actually, I would ask him this. Do you think Bo Nix is going to be a top 17 pick? Yeah. C- could he go top 17, please? And thank you. All right. Anyways, no, I I think it's it's an interesting hire where you're like, oh, another outside mind. And I think that can help appease those that that are are wanting outside perspective. But I I don't think that this is some game-changing thing that's going to completely change the Bengals' offensive scheme or anything like that, or you know, any any huge big takeaway that some could have because of where he comes from, and, and I think the Oregon tie, especially, and you look back the the Miami Dolphins tie, you're like, oh, offense, and and I still think people view both uh, programs that way. Obviously, the Dolphins for good reason, but but Oregon, you instantly think of of Chip Kelly, and then you you look what Bo Nix was able to do. And you think of that offense and I think it's cool. You get a, a nice, you know, talented young coach in town, but I'm not sure how much of an impact we're going to, to know that it has or doesn't have it very well could. And I'm sure Zach Taylor, uh, like he always does with his coaches, will give credit where credit's due. Say if the Bengals are alive 360 or so days from now, but uh, no, I, I don't anticipate it. Um, being some groundbreaking earth changing thing for this offense. Not that you're saying that. I just, I think some will see the Oregon tie and, and jump to, Oh, what could this mean for the offense? You mentioned Chip Kelly. 
Yeah, the the Oregon tie from way back. Oh, way back. There. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I still think people view Oregon and think they're on, and think how good those offenses have been and innovative and stuff. And they have for sure. They, they have two potential first round players on that offense this year, and wide receiver yeah. and quarterback. So, I I think it was a pretty good offense. In, Three. In the, who's the, oh yeah, three. Jackson Fire Johnson, of course, the guy you just mentioned. The one that might be here, my man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously has uh, an interesting history and, and there is a similarity between uh, the two coaches that have just been hired by the Cincinnati Bengals for these these assistant or, or passing game coordinator roles. Justin Riscotti played quarterback at James Madison University in 2005. Jordan Salkin got his coaching start at James, at James Madison in 2014. Salkin didn't play college football. There's a great article that uh, Ben Baby and myself both linked on Twitter from the Times Herald record that chronicles Salkin's journey to become a Division I coach. He started by sending 1,500 emails when he was graduating from West Virginia University looking for internships, looking for any opportunity to coach football. He was a little undersized. He was 5'9". He played quarterback in high school. Obviously tough to translate that to any level above high school. As a Princeton High School alum, James, I saw, Miss, I think, Mr. Football, Mr. Mr. Ohio for football, Mr. Football for Ohio. When I was back in high school, Mike Daniels couldn't get a, couldn't get a quarterback position in the NFL. He had to change positions and bounce around a bunch at the University of Cincinnati. But when you have undersized quarterbacks, can't tend to play football at a higher level. But he knew he wanted to coach from his high school days he knew he wanted to be involved in football he knew he wanted to coach he went and got his education in football manage or in, in sports management and immediately tried to get into coaching that started at james madison university and then the the coaches that he worked with there he followed the Rutgers and then texas before getting his break and going from quality control coach to an actual position coach where he started working with quarterbacks in new mexico in 2020 and then was with the Dolphins for a couple of years before landing in Oregon. I think a lot of those years were focused on working with quarterbacks. And in Texas, he was certainly working with quarterbacks for a couple of years when he was an offensive quality control coach. He was a quarterbacks coach, obviously, in New Mexico in 2020. And I think with Miami, he was doing some work with quarterbacks as well. So a guy who's passionate about football, obviously, was very driven, worked for free when he got in to football coaching and, and has worked his way up into a big opportunity to get in with a very talented coaching pipeline in Cincinnati. And like I said, did a great job with Bo Nix in whatever role he had in the quarterback's room in Oregon most recently. And also, as you mentioned, James, provides some insight on a couple of Oregon players, three, three Oregon players who could be potential first-round picks. No doubt. And I, I think that that helps a ton. I also think getting to, to everyone's point, getting another set of eyes on the quarterback room and having a, a young, hungry, clearly motivated coach. It helps. I don't want to downplay that. And I probably did downplay it too much at the beginning of the podcast. I do think it's important to continue the pipeline that has been built because I think the Bengals have built a high end coaching staff. And so to, to get another quarterback expert in that room, in it on the offensive side, I do think that that's important because it is a passing league. And if the Bengals are going to win the Super Bowl next year in New Orleans, like Cam Taylor Britt, who posted, he tweeted the the uh, the logo, the Saints logo. I, I get it, I understand it, and you, uh, it, you know what they're they're going to have to do? They're going to have to pass the ball at a high level with the game on the line. And 
adding to that room uh, is certainly exciting. And we also know about the assistant quarterbacks coach, Jake, which is something that I don't think anyone, at least as of the time of recording, has reported anywhere. And I'm not sure if you you know who pointed it out on social media, but Freddie Knighton, who was an offensive assistant for the Bengals last year, is now listed as the assistant quarterbacks coach. And uh, yeah, it's it's his third year, actually. He's been an offensive assistant the past two seasons. But yeah, Beng- Bengals quarterbacks assistant coach now. So he moves up behind Brad Cragthorpe. So there we go. They filled that role as well. That's uh, nine offensive staff members now on the coaching staff. That, that's one up from last season. That was actually pointed out by Matt at Mr. K. Cincy, who sometimes sends in mailbag questions as well. So shout out to Matt for being the first person that I saw that made this observation. Just refreshing that Bengals.com slash teams slash coaches dash roster to see <laughs> when when those changes were dropping. Maybe looking for, for some information. We got to do that more. Perhaps looking for some information as, as the Bengals <laughs> hired Justin, J- sorry, Jordan Salkin uh, to, to the staff, but finding a change at assistant quarterbacks coach Freddie Knighton, getting a little bit of a promotion going from offensive assistant to helping with a specific room, probably small change of duties for him and, and a potential pathway for, for the future. If things go well for Salkin, starting as an offensive assistant in Cincinnati. Those are the coaching updates that we've got. That's probably it on the offensive side of the ball. Wouldn't be surprised to see one more guy join on the defensive side of the ball where currently they are down one coach compared to last year, but maybe they're comfortable with that as well. But if we do have a defensive coaching staff change, of course, we'll get to talk about that. But with all that said, let's talk about lessons learned from this year's Super Bowl teams, James. We'll talk about our lessons from the big game coming up next. Today's show is brought to you by DoorDash. And like Jake said, we're going to talk about the big game. Hopefully you listened to us when it came to DoorDash. I DoorDashed City Bird over the weekend. And again, best spicy chicken sandwich you could ever ask for, imagine, think about. They have awesome tenders as well. But the point is with DoorDash, you can have City Bird delivered right to your door. You can have the snacks that you're craving delivered right to your door, whatever restaurant from Skyline to anything else from pizza, groceries, anything in between. Heck, flowers and gifts. It's Valentine's Day this week. You need to get her something for Valentine's Day, by the way. You have to do it. It's a need. Sorry. Just part of the gig. And DoorDash, and if you're that busy, and I could think of a million reasons daily to order DoorDash, including City Bird, like I mentioned all the time. So get dinner for tonight, groceries for the week, or a consolation prize for your sad friends, well, all across the city with Joe Burrow continuing to recover from that wrist injury. And I don't know, I'm sad when Steph Curry loses, so there you go. DoorDash, your door, two more. Head to DoorDash, head to the DoorDash app to get everything you need delivered. Again, DoorDash and the DoorDash app to get everything you need delivered to you. James, let's talk about the most obvious lesson from the Super Bowl, which is one, don't fumble, but two, if you fumble, get luckier. That's that's it, right? We, that's the end of the episode? Yeah. <laughs> fumble luck. That's, that's the entire Super Bowl. <sighs> Nothing fumble else luck matters. Don't let the ball hit you in the foot, even though you can't see the ball and you have no idea. So there well, you the, go. The punt returner was yelling. He he was given the 
well, whatever they call it, poison sure. or, or whatever. But he had no clue. He couldn't hear yeah. him for whatever, you know. And so there is luck involved with this, as there is. In, in every Super Bowl, there are certain calls that everyone will focus on, and there's moments. I think my takeaway throughout the game from really that fumble from Christian McCaffrey on the first possession was, man, the Niners are really outplaying the Chiefs to only be up by – well, nothing. It was 0-0 at the end of the first quarter. But to only be up by 3, to only be up by 10, to only be up by 7. I mean, they were dominating large chunks of that game. And it was a one-possession game for most of it. And that's got to make you uneasy anytime Patrick Mahomes is on the other side. Yeah, I think I saw a stat. And I wish I could credit the person who tweeted it. I think it was an ESPN analytics guy. But it was the stat is from next gen stats. And it was that San Francisco lost something like 35 to 36% of win probability in that game on three plays the Christian McCaffrey fumble, the punt turnover where Ray Ray McLeod trying to make a heads up play that everyone initially said, You're being an idiot. Why are you trying to touch the ball? Because it hit the guy's foot, like you mentioned. Uh, they don't, the 49ers can't recover that punt turnover and the missed extra point, which I don't necessarily count that one personally, but next gen stats did those three plays amount to 30, a 36% swing in win probability. And I didn't tweet much during the game, James. I, I was talking to you about this before we started the show, but what I did say numerous times was, man, that fumble on the first drive is brutal. Steve Spagnuolo is going to get much harder to play against as the game goes on. The way that his defenses work in the playoffs, a lot of times it's harder to play against him once he knows what you're trying to do in the game and he's able to adjust. He's great at in-game adjustments. And when your best player on offense gives the ball away on a scripted drive, which is where one of the places Kyle Shanahan is the strongest, when you're in scoring scoring territory already, that is just brutal. And, and it was. It was a huge difference in the game, not to mention directly then giving the the Chiefs three to and what turned out to be seven points on, on the fumble, on the punt. Massive, massive plays in the game. And there are definitely a lot of other lessons to talk about in terms of roster construction and, and how the games went, how the game went. But man, were those just massive plays. When your best players, and on the very next drive, Trent yep. Williams had two penalties. When your best yep. players are killing you, that's so hard to overcome. It is. It is. And yet, they were in position to, and, and they were able to put themselves in position to essentially end the game at, at the end of the fourth quarter. All you have to do is get a first down, couldn't do it. And then you, you're faced with a, a third down in overtime. You, you want to get into the end zone, couldn't do it. So, And you don't know the overtime rules. What are we doing? Well, that, that's insane. I Come on. I, I, I will say this, like, especially, and it's not just, the Super Bowl, but watching Dan Campbell, watching some of these coaches, and I know Zach and, and the staff, they've made mistakes, but my God, like a lot of these mistakes and in, in like awful penalties that are just knucklehead style penalties, like outside of the Vernon Hargraves one, which was in, ridiculously stupid. There weren't many during that run that I remember that were like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that happened. So just something to point out there too um also i i, I don't know why i'm bringing this up but i'm going to bring it up before the game the logan wilson play 
was showed or, or I saw it on social media and I, I watched it and it was like the broadcast. And at the time, both Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth, they didn't see anything. They didn't see anything on it. So I know they, you always see that slow-mo of like a little tug or not even slow-mo, but like the, the picture where it looks like Logan's really grabbing him. Nah. No. Anyway. The officials in this game did mostly swallow their whistles. Were there, they did. Were there officially good. officiating? I mean, probably to their detriment. Uh, I did see a play shared this morning on a, on a key play for Kansas City where Fred Warner gets tackled trying to blitz. Like he wins and, and just gets tackled running by an offensive lineman. So, you know, when Nick the Bosa when the rest... got held on a key one from Donovan Smith, uh, it was a third and 10. I think sure. it was the one to Kelsey over the middle. And he just got great. It was textbook holding, too. but that happens. It does happen. And when the refs swallow their whistles on the other side, like that, that's kind of what happens. You don't notice it as much because they're not directly changing the game by making calls, but they're doing it. And either way, that's, that's not really one of our lessons learned. Although I do think that one in the Super Bowl and, and the Bengals game a couple of years ago, a great example of this until it wasn't, I guess, but they were letting them play. They, they were only calling the most egregious stuff until the Logan Wilson call, which was... There were yeah, two penalties fact. on each side when that call was made. Yeah. And, and part of why everything's so fresh in my mind, I listened to Dan Hord on, on the Bengals Booth podcast, and he went back and kind of took it down memory lane. And yeah. it was such a blur then. It was actually good for me. It was refreshing to just kind of go back and, and rehash some of it. But um, yeah. The, the the one thing that stands out, and again, this was unplanned, but I guess I'm taking us here. He, and he he pointed this out, him and Lap apparently did on the radio broadcast. I wasn't listening, but in the, they did. He played the clip on the pod. Jermaine Pratt made a play, uh, the the down before the holding call on, on Logan Wilson. Sean McVay was going off saying that Pratt held. Mm-hmm. And so you wonder if that... Mm-hmm. was in the back of the officials' minds when they make that call, which was obviously a game-altering call. Which is why coaches work the refs the entire game. That's why Zach loses his mind for 10 seconds after plays before he gets back into his head coaching job, you know, as as has been described, where he, he flips a switch and gets back to it. But it's why you see coaches losing their minds and working the refs. Basketball, football, these, these are human human elements that – unfortunately exists but we've hardly talked about the rosters and how these teams got to the game uh but but some very interesting notes from that football game that kind of kind of underscores the the coin flippy nature i think that that sometimes exists in super bowls where it really can come down to the way the ball bounces the way the punt glances off the leg of of a guy trying to block the, these little things that are largely chance the Chiefs fumbling five times, losing one. The 49ers losing both of their fumbles. So so things like that, I think, are noteworthy. When you have single-game elimination, luck does matter. Can't really control it much, but obviously the 49ers could have done some things differently. And the Chiefs did some things right to put themselves in position to capitalize on that luck. So we'll continue talking Super Bowl takeaways to finish up the show coming up next. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. FanDuel is America's number one sports book. And right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. So throw five bucks on LeBron James if you think the Lakers are going to make a run or if you think my guy Steph Curry 
look, two Steph Curry mentions in one show. Jake, what is going on? Well, it's basketball season, and FanDuel is here for you. Plus, yeah, they'll have odds. You can look ahead to Super Bowl 59 odds, which the Bengals near the top have some of the better odds, I would say, in the league. Sixth best last time I checked FanDuel. So get to FanDuel.com slash locked on right now from quick bet, quick bets, exclusive props, or futures bets in the NFL. They have all of that and so much more at FanDuel. Again, that's FanDuel.com slash locked on to get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. FanDuel is the official partner of the NBA. A couple of thoughts that I have about the way these teams are put together, James. I'm going to start with the most pertinent to the Bengals, I think, as they face a big offseason where there's a lot of decisions to be made at a lot of different positions. Is you look at the way the Chiefs are put together, and the Chiefs had holes. You're, you're going to have holes when you have a quarterback when that cap hit kicks. And, and Patrick Mahomes' cap hit kicked in. Joe Burrow starts to next year but really they have another year they have one more season before the real big cap hits hit for joe burrow but when you have that i've talked about this on the podcast we've talked about this on the podcast before i tweeted about it a few weeks ago i feel like it might be time to to at least think about changing your approach to getting at least you know solid players across the board where there's this idea that you're you're spreading mid-level money around to a bunch of different guys, you know, the Ted Karras contract, the, Ag, the Alex Kappa contract, the D, the BJ Hill contract, the Sam Hubbard contract, the Joe Mixon contract. The list goes on and on, right? They have like eight guys or so who are roughly average, maybe really important locker room guys. Taking that out of it just from like a, a football production perspective, they're paying a lot of money for guys that are right around league average in terms of production, in terms of skill. You look at the Chiefs, on the other hand, they've got a lot of young, cheap production and draft picks, which, picks, which speaks to hit on draft picks, something the Bengals need to do better. And they've got money tied up in a superstar who didn't play at his position in Joe Tooney. They've got money for Patrick Mahomes. They've got money for Travis Kelsey, for Chris Jones. They paid Justin, uh, a George, Justin Reed. Yep. Justin Reed. A little bit of money on the defensive side of the ball, but point is is the chiefs are concentrating their their payments and superstars and getting young cheap contributions elsewhere and it's it's just kind of this opposite approach to the bengals where the bengals are paying a lot of guys to be kind of average level and that kind of raises their floor a little bit mm -hmm. and the chiefs have the quarterback and you think that the bengals have the quarterback and joe burrow too that you put a couple pieces around there and you, you got to find the impact players the chris joneses of the world and you got to hit on the draft picks of Trent McDuffie's of your team and, and find impact that way. So it just goes back to that conversation we had about paying average players versus paying top-end talent and the need for the Bengals to find more of that top-end talent. Sure. I, I think one of the things that stands out about the Chiefs to me is you look at all these drafts and at least one to two guys have instant like high-end impact mm -hmm. right away. Rasheed Rice this past year. He's yep. their best receiver, by far their best receiver. Trent McDuffie last year, where they get him 21st overall. And, uh, okay, Sky Moore doesn't necessarily work out in round two. That's fine. You have an awesome corner. George Karloftis is contributing in a big part of what they've they've done. Oh, I Isaiah Pacheco in round seven. And I know he didn't play great in the Super Bowl, 
they don't make the Super Bowl without Isaiah Pacheco. He was a big part of what they uh, were doing and what they built. And then the 2021 draft, uh, the Bengals were in position to have one of the greatest drafts of all time, and they could have. I mean, they landed, the, the Chiefs landed two guys that the Bengals had multiple chances at, Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith. Um, mo- not multiple chances at Humphrey, but they had, well, technically, if you count the trade back. But point is, key guys in, in key building blocks, studs. And so, yeah, you're right. Chris Jones, big factor. But I didn't just mention Chris Jones. I mentioned a bunch of guys that are coming in and making an impact. And they, the, the Bengals, Alex Kappa is going to be on the roster, right? Mm-hmm. And, and he's going to be the starting right tackle this year. Right so guard. where else where else can they find or right guard? Yeah, this year, not right tackle. Oh Lord. But do they do they splurge to your point? Do they splurge at defensive tackle? Is that the area that they look at? The Chiefs have spent a lot of money in the the offensive line room over the past couple of years. Do the Bengals continue to go that route at right tackle with a, a middle of the pack type of player? I, I think that's probably their best bet. So it is. It, it, it's tough. It's a it's a balance. That doesn't mean they can't draft one at eighteen, but I I think paying Jermaine Illuminor might make more sense than paying Jonah Williams. It, it also doesn't mean the Chiefs have been perfect. We we talked about a lot of things they've hit on, or in, and a lot of the players they have. But you know they didn't get much out of of Felix and Aduke Uzama this year, their first round pick. Clyde Edwards-Helaire was a first round pick for them back in twenty twenty. They haven't gotten much out of his career. I know he's dealt with future Bengal. Sure. Sky Moore, you mentioned, was was not a very impactful player for them. They traded for Darius Tony, and he was more detrimental than he was a positive for the Chiefs. They lost their big this free year. Agent Last year, he, he was huge for them. sure. But but, yes. but the receiver the receivers this year are a topic of hot criticism. Like they need to get better at receiver. I know Rasheed Rice is is a positive building block. Their second round pick and Valdez Scantling continues to make plays in the playoffs, but they need help at receiver. And, and that's going to continue to be a topic for the Chiefs into this offseason. But the point is, is like you look around commentary around the Chiefs this year. It's like, man, this is probably the worst the Chiefs have been since Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes arrived and they won the Super Bowl anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that is, you know, hitting on some of the draft picks we talked about. Legereus need another one, a fourth round pick who's one of the better corners in the NFL at this point. Having the coaching staff in place with Steve Spagnuolo being a great defensive coach and obviously Andy Reid there. So if you think you have the coaching staff, if you think you have the quarterback, you can put these studs like Chris Jones, Travis Kelsey, a couple of pieces in the draft around him. Then you can you can do it, but you got to hit in the draft. You got to be able to develop your mid-round players, your third to fifth round players, and, and find some good con- contributors there. You can't be afraid of going BPA. And, and I think that that's something the Chiefs have done well is is not really picking for need, not being swayed too much by team need and doing a good job of identifying BPA at positions of value. And and they were they made a hard decision around trading away Tyreek Hill for assets. So you got to be able to make those hard decisions, hit in the draft, and have the high-end talent when you've got the quarterback and, and the coaching staff. And the Bengals can try to emulate that with coaching staff continuity and with Joe Burrow at quarterback and then you got the playmaker on offense and Jamar Chase, and then you fill in the team around that, right? The the thing I will say to the Bengals' credit is that their approach of not going for the top, top end in terms of paying guys, at least not on their own team, because they've just made Joe Burrow the highest paid quarterback in the NFL or highest paid player in the NFL. When they sign guys like DJ Reader 
when they sign guys like Trey Henderson, Shadobe Awuzie, Mike Hilton, that is their approach of going kind of not to the very top, but in the middle to top end, and they're finding really good value there. So obviously you'd like to see them continue that, but as the last year demonstrated, that's not always the easiest thing to do, and sometimes that approach will miss and lead to some investments in players that don't work out. Sure. And I think when you look at their drafts, I think they have a lot of contributors in last year's draft and in the draft before. The instant impact element of it does matter. Well, the high end, like the the top, top end, you know what I mean? Sure, but top, top end of what? Isaiah Pacheco and Rasheed Rice? No, like Trent McDuffie, I think is a stud. I think he's awesome. And what the Bengals would say is they wouldn't have had a shot at that level of because they were drafting so late. So so sure. what does that mean? But, no, but what does that mean? That means that they better get 18 right. Well, and Creed Humphrey <laughs> and now, Trey Smith too, because you, you could talk about the later picks that you mentioned. Sure. Well, yeah. those, again, I'm sure the Bengals are kicking themselves for yeah. obvious reasons. But it's not like the Bengals have had awful drafts. Like, like they're not awful, but it's that combined with losing key pieces and and maybe adding the wrong pieces in free agency last year. And then it quickly changes and feels like it's much, much crazier and they're much farther away. I don't think they're super far away, but they do have to get it right in some key areas. They have multiple weaknesses that they have to address. And a lot of those should be filled with upgrades from what they had. And we'll see if they can do that, whether that's instant impact draft Right. If Jerzon Newton is there at 18, I'm sure he can be plug and play better than what you had three tech in 2023. Instant impact. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are multiple guys like that. That's just one example. It doesn't have to be Brock Bowers is instantly your best tight end. So we'll see. But I I think it's a mixture of of free agency, finding the value, but then also, right, finding some high end guys in the draft. And and who knows? Maybe Cam Taylor Britt is that. And, And the injuries kind of got in the way of what would be, would have been, uh, you, you know, this guy who would have made a Pro Bowl in year two. Mm-hmm. But uh, they, they need that, and we'll see if it happens. I'm just saying there aren't very many positions on this team on this team right now that would prevent me from drafting a player that I think has a higher ceiling in the first round. And and that's why I'm saying, like, this, this BPA idea, like, let's really draft BPA for instant impact this year, not think too much about who's going to make the longest term impact in the future, not think about where do we have the most glaring need. That's why we position value. Yes and no. Right. But, but largely no. Like if you have a guy that can just be a stud football player, you get him, right. And you look at the lions for, for those lessons. Um, But interior defensive line, I think going to be a big theme tight end going to be a big theme this off season that we'll continue to talk about. And, We'll have time to explore those topics. Time to get into the spreadsheet, James, and, and give some free agent tiers out. I've oh. started the process, but we got it in there. It's locked and loaded, ready to go, and, and start to put together some potential offseason plans involving an approach to free agency and how that can set the Bengals up for the draft. That's some exercises that we can start to get into here on Locked on Bengals. We've got the combine coming up as well, so still plenty of football to talk about, even though the 2023 season is on the franchise tag dates start that that opens up pretty soon as well 10 days 10 days we'll get to talk about those topics and more here on the lockdown Bengals podcast now that the 2023 season is wrapped until then thanks for listening to this episode 
of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Who day and have a good one.